listening to the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. The Bible gives us many promises, things that we look at, and one of the promises that we find in Scripture that is woven through the pages of the Old Testament is the promise of a Messiah, that a deliverer would come and a time would arrive when God would make things all right, that there would be this moment of complete salvation. And over and over, this message is communicated. The prophets of the Old Testament, they come and go. Kings arise and fall, generations live and die, but the messaging is consistent. Salvation is on the way. The Bible says that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. And there are many things that mark Jesus's life that demonstrate he is the one that the prophets of old spoke about. Jesus's life was marked with humility and incredible wisdom. He lived a life of power, performing signs, miracles, and wonders. He was God's visible display in earthly form, in human form upon the earth. We see these times in the Gospels where Jesus is being baptized and a voice from heaven shouts down, this is the one, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. There's a moment called the transfiguration in the scripture where a few of the disciples see Jesus in his glory and radiance and how it impacts them and gives more verifiable proof. This is the one, Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The New Testament writers clearly believe this. Jesus is the one. In the video that we just saw, we heard about Luke's account in his gospel of Jesus's entry into Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday. And here we sit nearly 2,000 years later, reminiscing and thinking about Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. Now, Imagine this just for a moment. Try to use your imagination as Jesus is moving into Jerusalem and think of the history of that great city. The history of the holy city of Jerusalem and all that occurred in that particular spot. Over Israel's history, there are marks of blessing from God and there are also marks of judgment from God. In that same place, there are displays of Israel's faithfulness as they turn their hearts towards God in Jerusalem. But there are also many instances, unfortunately, where they've rejected God and have served pagan deities. Jerusalem is a place of repentance, but also defiance. So in a city with all of these different types of things that are attached to it, with this type of history, How will people receive Jesus? How will Jesus be accepted in the great city of Jerusalem? Jesus already knows what will happen. And in Luke 19, beginning at verse 41, this is what we read. As Jesus approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. 
They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. We think of how Luke portrays Jesus' entry into the holy city. As Jesus having this attitude where he's weeping and mourning. But why does Jesus weep? Does he weep because he knows what lies ahead for him? The cross, the pain, the rejection, the nails, the whip, the crown of thorns, the, the mockery. Is that why he cries? No. He weeps because he knows what is in store for a city that will reject him, a people that will turn their backs on God once again. And he laments for their destruction because Jesus knows that if anyone rejects him, it ultimately will lead to destruction. And Jesus knows the outcome. And therefore, he weeps because he knows. And he's entering the city. And many are praising him. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. While others are conspiring against him. Murmuring, complaining, scheming. And after Jesus enters into the city, he goes to the temple. Now the temple is at the heart of Jewish identity. The tabernacle, the temple, this is the place where God's unique presence dwelt. And so in Jerusalem, the holy city, the temple dwelled there. It was the heart of the city, the heart of the nation. It was the center of worship. It was connected to Jewish identity. It was the place where there was the shedding of blood for the forgiveness or for the covering of sin. Many times it would be a place of rejoicing and praise. It was a place where people would present offerings of grain and wheat, but also of animals, lambs, bulls, and goats in this place in the temple. And so Jesus arrives in the city, goes to the temple, and he sees that it is an absolute mess. And there are a few explanations as to why Jesus is filled with this righteous anger and begins turning over tables, grabbing a whip, and driving people out of the temple complex. In the Jewish culture, they implemented what is called a temple tax. People would come, and they would be required to pay this temple tax, and the temple tax would take care of the Levitical priests, the priestly class. As they ministered, performed temple service, the temple tax assisted them in being able to live. It also assisted in temple maintenance and the upkeep of such a beautiful place. So in the times of these great feasts like Passover, you would have people who would travel from different lands that would make the pilgrimage to Jerusalem, but they would carry with them foreign currency. So when they arrived in Jerusalem and to the temple to pay the temple tax, the temple tax needed to be in local currency. So the money changers would look and instead of giving them a fair valuation of foreign currency for local currency, it appears they are taking advantage of the pilgrimage travelers, the people who are making their way to Jerusalem. And it's creating this sense of injustice. Another reason is that many people are also traveling to the region to perform sacrifice. And if you're traveling a great distance, 
then you may not want to carry your sacrifice, your lamb, your animal, your goat with you across distant lands. You would wait until you arrive in Jerusalem to purchase the sacrificial animal there. Well, there were a couple of things that were happening. If you arrived with no animal, you would go into the temple complex and they could sell you a clean animal without blemish at 10 times the market rate inside the temple. But it was sold within the temple, so that's the way that you knew it was holy and really acceptable to God. Possibly uh, there were other times where people arrived with their sacrifice and were told it wasn't good enough. You need to exchange it for the temple sacrifice that we're selling right over here. So if you would make your way, and again, 10 times the market rate, people were being taken advantage of. And we know how God feels about injustice. And so Jesus looks at the situation and, and the place that is supposed to be sacred, the temple is not only facilitating this idea of injustice, it's creating it and creating that environment. And Jesus steps in and says, no, get out of here. Stop taking advantage and trying to scheme and make money. Stop doing that. So trying to take advantage of the poor. And we see God's heart displayed, the heart of Christ that's displayed as he arrives in the temple. Jesus arrives and he starts cleaning house and people aren't happy. We continue in Luke 19, 45, just a couple of verses. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all of the people hung on his words. I want to stop there and think about the picture that's being created. Jesus as he is, as he always has been, makes his way into the holy city and then the temple. And we think of the reaction some are accepting of him and others are not. There are two questions I want to pose to you this morning. And the first one is this. Are we ready to accept the entrance of Jesus into our lives? Are we ready to accept the entrance of Jesus into our lives? And here's the kicker. As he is not who we think him to be. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem to the cries of Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. He's the one that was foretold that would come. And in their minds, they are thinking, here is the Messiah. He's going to kick out the Roman occupants. And he is going to establish the literal Davidic dynasty. Israel will never be the same. It will surpass its glory days, the days of David and Solomon. The time is here, it's now. Hosanna, Hosanna. But Jesus doesn't arrive in Jerusalem and start kicking out Roman occupants. He starts going to the temple and addressing more serious matters. Starts addressing the spiritual matters, and this is confusing to people because they thought that he was going to do something this way, and their acceptance of him was on how they perceived a Messiah should act. Their acceptance was not unconditional. They did not accept Christ as he was. You see, it's easy 
for us to look at Jesus and say, provider, healer, restore. And those are powerful things. Christ indeed does heal, provide, and restore. But we must also attach to that that he is also Lord and King. And that's a bit more difficult because when you start using that type of language, the implications are much different. We will say, yes, Jesus, will you heal me? Will you restore me? But over here requires us to live differently as we say, I live in humble submission to the Lord and King. He's ruler. I don't get to tell him what to do when I proclaim him as Lord. He sets out. He decrees, and I conform. You see what I mean? It's easier to sit here and say, oh, healer, love, you know, deliver, all these types of things. Lord and Savior, Lord and Master and King is much different. We look at Jesus and we think of the incredible kindness, humility, and gentleness that was displayed through him. But it's also difficult on the other end to accept that he is a just king and a holy king. And there are things that occur when we start talking about the holiness of God. We cannot talk about one without talking about the other because we want to be in place to receive Christ as he is, not who we think he should be. And again, the question, are we willing to accept Christ as he is, and will we accept him and what he wants to do in us? Jesus enters the temple, which is the heart of the city, and Jesus, as he makes entrance into our lives, where does he go? Into our heart, the center of our being. And that leads us to the second question this morning. Are we willing to let him, Jesus, clear out what doesn't belong in our hearts? Are we willing to let Jesus clear out what doesn't belong in our hearts? You see, when Jesus begins his work in us, we have to be prepared for him to single things out, for him to bring things to our attention, to say, hey, 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 this isn't of me. And Christ prepares us because his desire is to drive out everything that is not of him. And that's tough. For him to come in, begin his work, and to illuminate certain areas and go, hey, 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 this isn't of me. We got to do something about it. And we either have the response to say, you're Lord and King. Let's get it out. I don't want any part of it. Or we stay over here and go, ah, it's been there a while. I don't really like moving stuff around. Maybe it can just kind of stay there. You never see any type of scenario where there is a double-seated throne and it works out very well. The Bible is clear. There is no way that we can serve Christ and the world there is no way that we can have Christ on the throne of our life in the center of who we are and the world at the same time. It can't happen. Don't hurt the messenger. I'm just telling you what the book says. 
And we can't be divided. And so when Christ comes in, he begins to challenge some of the things. Some of the ways that he challenges us are perhaps in how we perceive him to be in our limited view. And we are left with this choice. Why allow him to clean house? Why allow him to do his deep work within me for his sake? Because I call upon him and consider him Lord and Savior. On Wednesday, I had the opportunity to, uh, the privilege to, to meet with OBY, the youth group. On Wednesday, the, the, the youth group went into the six-week series, and we were talking about this way, you know, making our way to Easter and covering some of the things that happen within the Old Testament that show and point to the person of Jesus. And Sam and Yannick and I, we each took two weeks each, and, and it was a really great series. But on Wednesday, in that message, I talked to the idea about sacred space, how in the Old Testament that God had delivered his people from Egypt, and in the wilderness, he then had to teach his people how to respond to a holy God. Who was he? What was it like to be in relationship with this God, this God who performs signs and wonders, this God who controls all of nature, and does things that are a bit unusual and has this strong and mighty arm, an outstretched arm that delivered his people. Now, who is this God? And so in the wilderness, God gave them ordinances and commands to show them what it was like to be his people. What was it like to be in relationship with him? And so in the Old Testament, we have some of these unusual commands that are unusual to us, would have definitely made sense to them, that deal with this idea of sacred space. God was in the tabernacle leading his people. And there were certain things that had to be in place if you wanted to approach God. That's why we see these different ceremonial washings. We see that there are certain times in a person's life where they're unable to approach uh, the sacred space of where God's presence dwells. It doesn't mean that he didn't love them. It just meant that he had to continually teach them, hey, this is what it's like to serve a holy God. And so the message spoke about this idea of sacred space, and it also spoke about the New Testament, how Paul says, guess what, everybody? If you are a believer, the Holy Spirit has filled your life, and you are a temple. You are the place where the Spirit of God dwells. In other words, you are sacred space. So in our hearts, in this region of sacred space, it is very critical who we allow to enter and what we allow them to do. And so Christ enters that place, makes it sacred because of his presence. And we have to guard our hearts and be careful of how we act, the attitudes we possess. Do we possess within us selfishness? Do we have attitudes where we're quick to criticize, to maybe talk about others? How do we treat the important relationships in our life? How do we treat our spouse? How do we treat our children? How do we treat our friends, our family? How do we even treat strangers? And all of that that comes out, is that evident of there being sacred space within us? Or does it mark something else? And that's the challenge that we see as believers, that we are on this journey because this is not about perfection. 
This is not about us finally getting it right 100% of the time. That's not it. This is about an attitude that flows from us because the Spirit of Christ is within us. This is not about behavior modification. I come to Jesus so that I can learn his ways so that somehow I will make better decisions or not lose my temper as much. I come to Jesus so that maybe he can help me stop cursing from time to time, maybe saying dirty words. This is much deeper than that. This is God's presence that dwells within us, and as we know him and discover him more and more, the outflow of that relationship, of that sacred space within us, is the fruit of the Spirit. Changes how we engage with those that we love, complete strangers, how we respond. When our heart has been captivated by him, it causes life change when we allow him to do his work. The Bible makes this comparison about the old life and the new life. And if you have received Christ, then there is new life for you, not better version of yourself, not you 2.0, brand new life. And it is made possible by God. And here's the thing, God sustains you in this work. You remain submissive to his work within you. Is Christ trying to clean but we are trying to resist. The work of Christ is a good work, and it can be tough, but it's a perfect work. Can you imagine Jesus' followers that had known him as being this man who was humble, kind, gentle, all of a sudden be filled with this righteous anger as he's turning over the money tables and driving people out? Can you imagine their surprise? Do you know how tough that would have been to witness? For them to see Jesus as he was in his fervor for what was righteous and good, it would have been tough to watch Jesus do what he had done. But what Jesus did was absolutely necessary. It was necessary. In our Christian walk, we are confronted by the reality of who Jesus is, and there will come times where we will be forced to make a decision where we become more like him or more like the world. I think of these two questions. Are we ready to accept the entrance of Jesus into our lives? And are we willing to let him clear out what doesn't belong in our hearts? I think that about that in, in light of the greater church body. What does God want to do within us? How should we receive Jesus as he is as a corporate body? My prayer is that we would as individuals and in our families and in our close relationships and within our church say, this is how we discover Christ and this is how we welcome him among our midst. And while he is here, we corporately will allow him to do whatever it is that he needs to do in us. To bring in the spirit of unity, to work mightily among us, to use us for his good pleasure, for his will. Part of the 10K initiative that I speak about frequently is this idea of discovering Jesus. And I'll end with this today, is that that is what everything hinges upon. We can equip ourselves, we can say that we're gonna go somewhere and do something, but if we don't know him, what's the point? There is no point. He is the foundation of it all. 
And as believers, we've embraced him. Now we allow him to do his work. What implications does that have for us as a church? How do we discover Christ corporately? How do we discover him more and more? And how do we welcome him into our midst to do what it is that he desires to do? Last week, Kay shared a word about being new wineskins. And that's my prayer. God, if you want to do something in us, but first it requires for you to do something drastic within us, then do whatever it takes within us. Because we want your work, your perfect work, no matter if it's the easy stuff or it's the tough stuff, we want your work completed and done in us because we want to stand here as a unified people uplifting the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And as he is lifted up, other people will begin to discover who he is. And all of that hinges upon us saying, let's go. Let's discover him. Let's make way for him in our life and give him free reign to do whatever he wants. I'll invite the team, if they would come up now, I'm going to close in a prayer and then we'll sing a song. God, we know that you love us. The Bible clearly demonstrates that. But we also know that you are you and we are limited in our understanding of who you are, of who your son is. And so... God, as your people, I ask that you would begin to show us more and more. Show us who Christ is. Show us the work that he wants to do. And keep us in a place of deep communion with you where we will be in a place of submissiveness, where we turn everything over in our life to you as Lord and King. Father, even in the difficult times where we are challenged by maybe some attitudes, some thoughts, some ideas that we currently possess that are not of you, that you want to drive out, I ask that you would be patient and gracious towards us in those difficult times. And that we would actually seek out refuge among your people when we are in those places of difficulty to know that we can be uplifted and sustained by your power and your people. God, we stand here on a day like today, Palm Sunday, and we welcome you Welcome your son into our life, in the life of this church. And we proclaim that our attitude will be one of acceptance for what you would do among us. Father, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the powerful act of Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand as we sing? Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.